Hey, it's Chaz Mostert here, and yes, I'm inside your speaker. I'm in here because I have a special message for you from Clayton in Melbourne. If you're a club, state, or national racer on the circuit or on the dirt in Speedway or rallying, you can now tap into the know-how of Walkinshaw Racing Services, and you don't need a supercar to get in the door. The same expertise that's won multiple Bathurst 1000s and V8 Supercar Championships is now available for you to call upon. From bonnet to bumper, WRS can help you with engines, design, paint, machining, fabrication, and so much more for all sorts of makes, models, and categories. Have a chat with Walkinshaw Racing Services and tell them what matters to you. Call now on 1300 WRacing or email services at walkinshawracing.com.au. A Motorsport Podcast Network production. Hello and welcome to the Castrol Motorsport News Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Van Leeuwen, and here's what's making news this week. Shane Van Gisbergen is staying in supercars, at least in the short term. The Kiwi has inked a new deal with Triple Eight beyond the end of the current season. Supercars has made a small move on the parity front with the Camaro's hit with a center of gravity adjustment ahead of the Perth Super Sprint. The shift is equivalent to a 2.3mm move upwards. LED number plates are coming to supercars. Digital displays with race position will replace the number stickers on the windshield of the cars in Perth this weekend. The number stickers will remain on the side windows with Mark Winterbottom to run the number 600 as a special tribute to his 600 race start at Wanneroo this weekend. Joining me this week to discuss all that and more is a teammate whose QR code is definitely worth scanning, Stefan Bartholomew. Stefan, how are you this week? Hello, Andrew. That is truly one of your best hand grenades to start a show mm. right there. Yep. I was looking I, forward uh, to seeing what you do with this. I do think anyone looking for a QR code on a race car this weekend in Perth is going to be a bit disappointed, though. I don't think that's going to be allowed to run. There you go. I think that is probably a reasonably wise decision because we are a family sport, of course. Now, let's get stuck into the news and views ahead of my home round here in the beautiful city of Perth. Uh, there's a bit to unpack as we look towards the third round of the season at the very catchy sounding carco.com.au raceway. Uh, let's kick things off with this center of gravity change, Stefan. Now, last week we talked about how there had been this 0.4 degree spread, which was being touted by the category as incredibly close. That was across nine cars that were tested at Tickford Racing HQ in the week after the Australian Grand Prix. Turns out as close as it was, it wasn't quite close enough to avoid a tweak. Um, now, there was a little bit of confusion over whether this was a front to rear ballast change or a true COG change, but it is absolutely the latter. The rearward position is effectively just the best placement of the redistributed ballast at the right height. So to so a few things to check off. Uh, firstly, it's not additional ballast. It is the redistribution of just under five kilograms of the total weight of the car, which won't change. It will sit just above the fuel cell, basically at the rear window, which is significantly lower than what we saw in 2019 with the Mustang. And we're also talking about a lot less weight because that was 28 kilograms that was shifted to the roof line of that Gen 2 Mustang. Uh, according to the data from supercars, if the weight in this instance, was going to the roof lines, that same position, they'd be moving about 1.8 kilograms. So that just sort of gives that a bit of context there. Uh, the idea is that this will shift the COG of the Camaro upwards by 2.3 millimetres. It's expected to equate to around six thousandths of a second around Wanneroo. Stefan, what are your thoughts on our latest little parity adjustment here? Uh, well, the numbers tell the story on this one, don't they? Like it is an incredibly small change 
within a 1400 kilo race car but they've done the testing they've produced the results so they needed to go and act on it and make the adjustment no matter what the magnitude is and there's been a lot of noise out there about it but it's pretty simple i think and a lot simpler than the engine and acceleration debate that's also going on in the background yeah which is an interesting one and as we were recording on on monday afternoon because of the holiday tomorrow and we don't have a we don't have an exact answer on what's happening with that motor stuff for this weekend just yet, but I think that however you want to dice it, we're going to talk about parity once or twice more before the conclusion of the 2023 season. Anyway, let's move on to uh, a slightly less pressing matter, but one that we're still talking about for this weekend for whatever reason, that is LED light panels. Uh, now, these have been around in GT racing for a long time, and Supercars has kind of been flirting with it for ages as well. I think it was back in, like, 2015 that it was trialled on the Dunlop Series cars. In 2019, they were trialled on the main game cars in Townsville, and the plan was for them to be used front and side for the 2020 season. That was initially delayed because of supply issues at the start of the 2020 season, and then COVID took hold, and there were bigger fish to fry than how we consume our race numbers and race positions. Um, I guess... I guess the same could kind of be said right now about this latest introduction of these panels, you know, at a time when teams are still grappling with Gen 3 cars and building spares, banks and all that sort of stuff, plus the cost blowout. Um, but here we are with LED panels for race position coming to the windscreens for Perth this weekend. Stefan, is this the sort of change that's actually going to make the sport any better? And is it coming at a time when teams perhaps have more pressing things to be spending their time and money on? Yeah, I think in, in team land, there are more more pressing things, but um, we might have to reserve a bit of judgment on it until after the weekend in terms of how effective they are on the racetrack. Like, personally, I think they're a little bit ugly. Like, we've seen yeah, them, as you I said, agree. in GT racing before. And where they use it there, it can get a little confusing because sometimes they're showing track position. Sometimes it's an obscure yeah. three-letter driver name code or a current pit stop time or whatever. They seem to change it a lot. But yep. for supercars, they're just going to show the car's track position, which is primarily to help the trackside spectators. So we might have to send you out trackside and, and for you to report back next week on how effective it really is. Uh, yeah, look, I'm happy to do that for you, Stefan. But it's it's kind of um, – yeah, I agree. I don't think they look great. And I sort of think that the majority of spectator areas are sort of, from what I understand, you, you can have big screen access. For TV, obviously, it makes no difference. You're going to look at the totem pole for who is where. But I don't know. It just doesn't – I don't – I think the cars look quite good with the number stickers there. I don't sort of see this as something that – that makes a huge difference or will make a huge difference to the people sitting on the hill. But, um, yeah, anyway, it's, it's what's happening. Every lap in under a minute means every second matters. Bosch Power Tools Perth Super Sprint, May 17 to 19. Book now at Tick Attack. Supercars unforgettable. Let's move on to some driver news. And the big news this week is, of course, that Shane Van Gisbergen has signed a new Triple Eight deal. Um, he was out of contract at the end of this season and has been coy on his future since late last year. I mean, he was talking about how he wanted to see what Gen 3 would bring to the party before he committed to the category long term or longer term. Um, now, as we've covered off in a fair bit of detail, he hasn't always been glowingly positive about 
Gen 3, but he has decided to sign this new deal, which means he'll be hanging around for a little bit longer at least. Um, Stefan, as interesting as the championship might have been without Shane and his pesky habit of dominating race wins and championships, um, this is like good news for supercars, right? Yeah, I think any sport needs its stars. And when you consider that Scott McLaughlin and Jamie Winkup have moved on still relatively recently, like Shane, Mark Winterbottom and James Courtney are the only Supercars champions in that current field. And and clearly Shane is the benchmark for everyone out there. So I think that's a good thing that he's, he's still going to be around. And, and the fact that he does make cameos in other classes overseas is a good thing for Supercars too in terms of lifting the profile of the whole series. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we're going to see him continue to do that. We've got a chat with Shane coming up where he does talk about that in just a couple of minutes. But, yeah, look, I think that um, what is really good is when he goes and performs in other series. Like it does help sort of raise the bar of saying, well, well, sorry, it, it helps showcase just how good the standards are in supercars and how good you have to be to be able to dominate at that level because it's not always a great look when one driver's dominating, but at least when he's a guy who has a reputation on the world stage as someone who can hop in a GT car and win international championships that can be on the podium at a world rally championship event in his class, like he's obviously, you know, a beyond just normal professional level driver. He is something quite... Quite special. Um, what knock-on effects for the driver market could we see from this, Stefan? I mean, I guess what this does is kind of leaves Cam Waters as the biggest off-contract fish that's uh, that's in the pond for next year. And it also cuts out a top seat for next year that should Shane had done something radical would have been available and would have been a very interesting proposition to see who Triple Eight would have gone looking for as well. Where do you see that everything kind of sits um, now that this deal is in place and we know what Shane is doing next year? Yeah, the spotlight clearly does turn to Cam now and what he's going to do because this is his 10th year at Tickford when you count Super 2 and main game. And clearly it's been a fruitful relationship for both parties, but there's just that little question mark there as to whether Tickford really can get the job done over a season. So I think he'd be foolish not to have a look around at his options on the face of it. There might not be a lot of better options in supercars than Tickford for him, but that just makes his recent visit to a NASCAR race and his public declarations about wanting to go and drive one of those cars all the more intriguing. What did you make of that? Do you reckon that's just leverage or could Monster and Ford end up opening some doors over there for him? I guess so. It's always hard to tell. with the, like, It's very easy for a driver to say, yeah, I want to drive a NASCAR. Like, you know, we see we, we see all sorts of stories about drivers from overseas saying they want to come and race at the Bathurst 1000 because if someone says to you, do you want to race at the Bathurst 1000, it's pretty easy to go, uh, yeah, yeah, that sounds fun. Um, so, you know, it's not necessarily that the fact he's saying that. I think the, what he was saying was different to what Brody has said, which is like a very clear intention. Mm. I want to go and race NASCAR like this year. I want to do it in the Cup Series. I we're not doing enough racing here. I want to go and do that. Um, so <clears throat> I think that's it's perhaps a little different to that situation. But yeah, look, it is interesting. And I wanted to ask you like, where could Cam go? You know, if he doesn't stay where he is, because like, it's not that he's 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 obviously in a team that's capable of winning races. Um, it's a very comfortable environment for him. But we saw the same thing with Chaz, where at some point, whether it's feeling like a change of scenery might help get to the point of winning a title or 
just wanting that change or whatever it is, it does seem that 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 point does seem to arrive um, for drivers. I guess you know you if you look at where investment is going, you know you've got Grove Racing, you've got Premier Racing teams that are very ambitious um, that could potentially go well. You know, let's hire the guy that's kind of in that mix. You know, there is sort of Shane. Chaz and Cam that are seen as the absolute cream of the crop at the moment and once one of them's off contract, you would think those teams would also be doing themselves a disservice if they weren't asking the question about what's this guy going to do and would we have any chance of landing him? What do you reckon? Yeah, I guess Groves could be a potential player, but it's it feels very early yet. We haven't sort of heard a lot about this sort of stuff. All, all we've seen is a few tick things off like Triple Eight locking their drivers in. Obviously, Erebus are locked in. DJR haven't said much, but those guys seem fairly secure there. So then you're looking at, say, Walkinshaws and, and Nick Perkat's a bit of a talking point, but would would Cam even want to end up there against Chaz in the same team? Yeah, that totally. That could be That's- a pretty tough assignment. So, yeah, when you actually go go through it, there's not a huge amount of obvious options. Yeah, no, that's why I didn't mention that before because it kind of I, – I feel like that is just Chaz's team and that's been reinforced by what we've seen in terms of the balance sheet on either side of the garage so far, like the stranglehold that Chaz has on the direction that team goes and how it, and, and, and how it performs is is pretty significant. So I think – I'm not sure that would be overly uh, attractive for Cam, but, yeah, anyway, it's uh, – it's interesting. It's good to have a bit of silly season uh, spice that could potentially uh, come along at some point now that this kind of question mark, which I, I actually thought the Shane question mark might drag on for longer. I thought it might be something we talked about later into the season, but um, but it's obviously been locked away uh, pretty quickly for at least the short term. So I grabbed Shane for a quick chat about his decision to re-sign um, and what his future holds both in supercars and potentially out of it, and uh, here's what he had to say. Yeah, so come clean. Did you really think about uh, leaving us and going to do something else next year? Yeah, yes and no. Um, I think I think it's obviously always the appeal. Grass is greener um, sometimes and fresh challenges. But, um, yeah, I do really enjoy where I am here with the challenge of the new car and, and how good I have it with the team and the people. Like I got some awesome people around me, you know, engineers, mechanics and all the off-track people as well. Um, but the the great thing of of Triple Eight and what I've been getting better at since I've joined the team is I'm allowed to go challenge myself in other areas, whether it's rally or speedway. So I don't want to lose that because I love I love being in a professional top level sport. But getting to try other things too is cool. You talked a lot about Gen 3 being a big determining factor in your future, even last year. Um, you know, as yep. has been widely discussed, you, you've you been critical of Newcastle when you felt the situation has warranted that. Does this yep. decision mean that fundamentally you actually do have faith in that platform and it's about refining it from here and you do actually, you know, like Gen 3? <laughs> yeah, no, that's not right. I don't okay. really, but um, I think, you know, you hate complaining about stuff, but, you know, they aren't that great as a driver's car which is pretty selfish like they're more of an engineer's car than a driver's car it feels like but you know maybe it will get better but that's part of what I've learned to enjoy the last couple of months is working with Andrew and the other guys and trying to make the car better and you know it's a whole different setup and way of going about it in um, 
and you know how cars set up and stuff. So that challenge has been pretty cool and and quite refreshing, you know, because we didn't really develop much over the last couple of years because the rule none of the rules had really changed. So yeah, I think it's a it is a fresh challenge and. I think with the changes, hopefully they're going to do to the cars. It'll it'll keep challenging and changing in years to come. So that that bit's fine. So it's the development challenge more than actually personal enjoyment from driving the car that's driving that at the moment, and has led to you yeah. going, well, I'm going to give it a bit more time here before I really explore other options. Yeah, I think so because you know all all drivers are feeling the same. You know, we're all sort of saying the same stuff, and then you know, we go about our teams and try and make our own car better. But I think, you know, the drivers are saying the same stuff about the tyre and the throttle response and stuff like that. So, you know, stuff, that's going to naturally get better. But, yeah, at the moment you've got to deal the best with what you got, I think. Are you expecting this centre of gravity change to make any great difference to the cars? It's obviously a lot less than it was than we saw what the Fords were hit back in 2019. Yeah. I don't think it's insignificant. Like it's still going to be there, um, but yeah, it seems it seems weird to change something by a mill and a half center of gravity when the email went out with the results of it saying that you had a mill. You know, your result could have had up to a mill worth of error. So I really don't get it. But uh, if it silences the parity stuff and makes the optics of it better, then you understand it. But it does seem a bit weird. How validating has it been? You know, you talked about your relationship with the engineers and working with Andrew and, and staff on, on this new package. How validating has yep. it been? You know, you've been winning races with this new car, um, even if you haven't got to keep all those wins. You've been, you've been incredibly <laughs> quick with them. How validating is it yep. that you can start from scratch with something and still be basically the benchmark in terms of outright pace for you as a driver and for you guys as an engineering team? Yeah, well, it's awesome, you know, It's and it's that continuity we had of all the good people last year and, and you know, same drivers, same main engineers and all the, all the performance guys. Like, yeah, so much work went in to help design the cars but then also to switch into race mode and try and make them go faster. So, yeah, it was a lot of work in our first pre-season test and stuff. We probably did feel a little bit behind. You know, we weren't strong at Eastern Creek on that test day and stuff and, um, the guys were a bit late in changing their focus to performance, but yeah, like working as a team and trying to turn things around real quick has been, been awesome to be part of. You said last year that you were hoping that Brock would step up and give you a bit yep. of a challenge this year. Do you feel that he's making progress on that? Are you sort of expecting and seeing the signs that he could give you a few yep. headaches of the good kind from the other side of the garage ac- across this season? Yeah. Yeah. And as, as you said, it is the good kind, like, you got to um, work together and challenge each other to keep lifting. And, you know, not that I've got complacent the last couple of years, but, you know, you go from Jamie pushing you every week who didn't really have any weak tracks to Brock who only knew half the circuits and was still learning things. And, you know, there was a lot of time Brock was very fast, but, you know, now he's pretty much quick at every track and that, that makes you keep sharp and, um, yeah, you're always – always pushing and finding stuff with the setup because he doesn't have to learn the tracks anymore. He's just pushing the whole time. You talked about, you know, loving to do other forms of racing and the rally stuff and the speedway stuff. Um, yep. What about some other bitumen racing? You've been very heavily linked to this track house racing NASCAR entry. Every time that comes up, your name comes up in some 
way or form? Where are things at with yep. maybe maybe heading to or exploring a path like that? Yeah, I'd love to do that, but uh, yeah, I guess they've set the bar pretty high with Kimi Raikkonen. But yeah, I've tried to get in touch with you know like Paul Morris and stuff to try and get into his contacts to give me an introduction. But hey, I'd I'd love to do it. But yeah, I I have enjoyed. Um, rally last year. That was a cool thing to do. Unfortunately, WRC is not coming to New Zealand or Australia this year, but yeah, I'm doing as much in New Zealand as I can and still trying to do more in Australia. So I feel like I've done as much GP stuff as I've sort of wanted to do in, in yeah. Europe and Oz. So yeah, I want to try to do, do some more off-road stuff. And I like Speedway. It was good being at the back, you know, and then trying to have to learn new skills and try and move forward. And yeah, I still got a lot to learn in Speedway. That's tough, and yeah, I'd love to love to keep getting better at that. Speaking of racing in New Zealand, the one thing you're not racing in New Zealand this year is a supercar. <laughs> like the um, yeah. you know, the series have said they really want to get back there next year if possible. How important yeah. for you, is that for you personally? And with Pookie now out of the question, Hampton yeah. Downs or Taupo, where should we be going to race when we can finally get a deal going again? Yeah, I've been vocal with that every chance I get, and I won't stop. But um. I, yeah, I do think racing in New Zealand was a huge part and the crowd, you know, the crowd spoke for themselves last year. That was unbelievable. But yeah, I know Supercars now is trying as hard as they can and that's awesome. But for me, I think I think A1GP showed Telpo probably can't handle big events. The town's just not not really big enough with the, the distances people are having to, you know, travel to get accommodation and stuff. So I think it's tough with Hampton just being outside of Auckland so get Auckland Council support, but really that's probably the biggest track um, that we that we could have it in the North Island. And just quickly, this weekend heading to Perth, hasn't always been like a triple eight stranglehold circuit, not that much of that matters given the fact we've got all these new cars anyway. You're sort of confident yep. that you'll be able to, to, to get your package where you need it to work around what's a pretty unique circuit? Well, it's, that's just another unknown of the season. Like it's a completely different track again to – to where we've been and then Tassie's different again. So that's probably, you know, that's the exciting thing and the challenge. Like we're going to be going there with quite a different setup to what we've run so far before and most other teams will be too. And, yeah, no idea where we're going to be, what impact this centre of gravity stuff will have and that's what makes it exciting, I guess. You just have no idea what's going to happen. Uh, Stefan, after a bit of a break since Newcastle, we'll see the Dunlop Series back in action in Perth this weekend as well. There's no Matt White Motorsport on the grid for the first time since the 1970s and the debut of the new longer-timed races in Perth as well. Um, what do you think we're going to see this weekend? Is this timed races thing really going to help driving standards? Is the idea just that they've got a little bit more time to not feel rushed to shunt into each other? It certainly looks like a positive step because it has effectively increased the window for the races from 30 minutes to 40 minutes and making it run to a time avoids that bad look of setting a lap count and then not making it. But yeah, in terms of driving standards, whether it improves that, I think we'll have to wait and see because yes, it gives more time, but it doesn't change the fact they're going to have 27 drivers of varying experience and ability across two yeah. classes on a 2.4-kilometre track. And, you know, Supercars has said the change will enable drivers to focus more on racing and less on tactics. But whether there are safety cars or not will still have a massive 
impact. And if it goes green for 40 minutes, you're talking about 40 laps, which is a long way to yeah. go there on a set of tyres. And you're going to have to fuel it for that possibility too, of course. So, again, you, you talk tyre deg. Like, how will you know what your tyre deg is like if you can't do more than two laps in practice without being tripped up by a slow car or having a red flag come out? Like, the fundamentals are still all there. It's... um. It's interesting, you know, and you talk about the fact that it's um, this difference in, you know, driver ability across the class, but even just car speed, you know, if you're looking at the top of Super 2 yeah. down the bottom Super 3, like there's obviously there is a big – and that that is that has obviously played its part, this joint system, which is good for grid numbers, but has obviously played its part in the fact that we have talked about driving standards and we have been seeing these issues with driving standards in this category over the past couple of years. Yeah, so there's – there's, again, two parts. It's the Super 3 question of going forward, is it ever going to be better when you're trying to run two categories together? But then also the experience level that you're required to have to drive a Super 2 car isn't all that high. So yeah. some of the issues really are caused by the the slower Super 2 people as well. So, yeah, we'll see how this change goes. Obviously, this is a permanent circuit, not a street track, so there's a bit less... Uh, potential for for carnage, but then you've got those sand traps there that mean if someone goes off, it's probably yeah, you, you don't going tend to, to come back. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right, let's take a look at what is happening around the world. Elfin Evans scored his first World Rally Championship win in 18 months in Croatia over the weekend after holding off Otanic. Evans dedicated the win to friend and rival, the late Craig Breen. Uh, Kiwis dominated the Formula 3 action in Berlin with Mitch Evans winning the first of the two races. The second then went to Nick Cassidy at the start of that race, delayed by protesters who managed to sneak onto the track. And Kyle Busch won the NASCAR Cup Series race at Talladega Super Speedway after leader Bubba Wallace was wrecked by Ryan Blaney on the final lap. Kyle Larson, meanwhile, was lucky to walk away from a nasty crash that badly damaged the cockpit area of his car. NASCAR will investigate the damage at its R&D center. Okay, Castro mailbag time. An anonymous suggestion this week from a listener who didn't want to be named but thinks that the live pit lane order system that we discussed last week and that Supercars has uh, admitted that it's looking at has merit if tweaked a little bit. Now, this listener's idea is that the pit order would be determined by Friday practice results from the previous round. So to put it all together for the first round of the season, so for Newcastle this year, the order would have been based on team's championship position from last year, as it was in real life. Um, and then for the Grand Prix, it would have been based on whoever was fastest in Friday practice in Newcastle. For Perth, it would be based on whoever was fastest in Friday practice at the Grand Prix and so on. Um the idea of this system is that it would give teams an incentive to not sandbag on Friday. It would give us a better form guide from a practice. It's an interesting idea. Uh, Stefan, I'm not shifting from my fundamental belief that this live pit order thing is an absolute waft ham that won't actually improve the show at all and that we don't uh, really need. Uh, but I still find this a little intriguing, mostly because I do rate the idea of adding – some interest to practice. Like I think it's – I quite like, you know, categories that have like – and we even – you know, we had it in supercars not that long ago where you need to be, you know, in top 10 for practice to avoid like a part of qualifying or something like that. I actually – I always kind of like that idea because practice is, uh, you know, we've discussed its importance and how race weekends should be should be formatted. Even last week we were talking about that. But I do sort of find that 
anything that can make practice a little more interesting is a potentially a good thing. What do you think? Yeah, I think in terms of this proposal or idea for the pit lane order, yeah, I like the creativity, but I'm not sure if the complexity is worth the result. And yeah. again, it sort of comes back to are we looking for a solution to a problem that doesn't really exist? But it, it does raise that good point about Friday practice and how to make that more interesting. Yeah, I don't really know the answer to that, but um, I guess we'll all have 90 minutes to, to mull it over on Friday. 90 minutes of practice. How fun is that going to be? All right, let's hand out some Castrol Stars of the Week. Given it's Perth Super Sprint Week, I'm going to keep things local and give my Castrol Star to Jake Claridge. Uh, I enjoyed a nice day out in the sun at the Tiger Cart Club yesterday watching the AKC action, and Jake won the KZ2 final on home soil, which meant he also became the first winner of the Gary Light Cup. Uh, there were some local winners in X30 with Jake Sawyer and Cadet 9 with Jay Kostecki, the younger brother of Kurt and Jake, and he drove really well in the race for the youngsters there. Uh, Nick Perkat was there as well. He finished second in the tag 125 class, which was a pretty nifty drive. Stefan, who gets your Castrol star this week? Well, I was at the other end of the motorsport spectrum on Sunday, taking in the Malala Historic Meeting. So I'm giving my star of the week to Simon Fitzner and the Historic Sports Sedan Association for putting some amazing cars on track out there. The the biggest head turner actually was a recreation of Brian Thompson's famous Volkswagen Fastback, which was only on static display, but uh, it's not too far away from being finished. And it's, it's being built, of course, by the original cars creator, Peter Fowler, and it's just an incredible piece of kit. Look at us, just, uh, just giving... Given Grassroots Motorsport all the love over the weekend. Anyway, that's it for this week. Remember to like, subscribe, and review our work wherever you listen to your podcast. And we'll be back next week with more Castrol Motorsport news. Hey, it's Chaz Mostert here. And yes, I'm inside your speaker. I'm in here because I have a special message for you from Clayton in Melbourne. If you're a club, state or national racer on the circuit or on the dirt in speedway or rallying, you can now tap into the know-how of Walkinshaw Racing Services and you don't need a supercar to get in the door. The same expertise that's won multiple Bathurst 1000s and V8 Supercar Championships is now available for you to call upon. From bonnet to bumper, WRS can help you with engines, design, paint, machining, fabrication and so much more for all sorts of makes, models and categories. Have a chat with Walkinshaw Racing Services and tell them what matters to you. Call now on 1300 W Racing or email services at walkinshawracing.com.au.